Man, what a wonderful passage, Robin. And um, it, it highlights the beauty and the wonder of understanding God's commands for us. If you've not been with us for the last few weeks, uh, let me take just a few minutes to review where we've been. Uh, two weeks ago, we studied the story of David and Bathsheba. David, you might remember the story, stays at home while his men go off to fight. And while on the rooftop, he catches a glimpse of a woman bathing. Her name is Bathsheba. He's told that she's an unmarried woman, or that she's a married woman, but he doesn't care. He brings her into his palace and commits adultery with her. And then David makes matters worse by having her husband killed on the battlefield. It was a cover-up operation. David thought he could get away with it. He thought it was all over. He brings Bathsheba into his house as his wife, and it seems like everything's going to work out. But God uses David's friend, a prophet named Nathan, to expose his sin. And last week we talked about this confrontation. Nathan reveals to David the tragedy of his sin. He does it in a clever way, doesn't he? He tells David about a man who stole a sheep. And when David proclaims that the man must die, Nathan reveals that the man is David. 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 12, verse 7 says, You are the man, Nathan says to David. Nathan's words are courageous. And David knows they're true. David admits in verse 13, I've sinned against the Lord. If you keep reading in the story, you'll see what Nathan says to David. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 and 14 says, Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this, you've made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. The son dies. David and Bathsheba mourn for him. If you go back to verse 9 in the chapter, we see Nathan describing a reality for David's family that will last forever. He says in verse 9, Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. David is not going to die, but the consequences of his sin are going to continue. And we'll talk more about this in a few minutes. But again, I'm not sure this is necessarily a curse on David as much as it is just to say, because this sin has been in your house, it's going to take root and there are going to be consequences that play out because of that. And we're going to see how this plays out here in chapter 13. So let me invite you to find a Bible this morning. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 13. Now as we study the story of David, it is anything but uninteresting. Beginning in chapter 13, we see a series of events that plague David's family. 2 Samuel 13, verse 1. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Now, Tamar is a full sister of Absalom. Remember, David has many wives, and so she's only a half-sister of Amnon, David's oldest son. We keep reading in verse 2. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, what does this mean, he made himself ill? The Hebrew word here means he is frustrated, right? Or he is tormented because of her beauty, and he wants her, and she is confined to the, to the quarters with unmarried women, so he doesn't have a chance to have her. But again, he is the king's kid, right? And the king's kid usually gets what he wants. And we see here he's a lot like his father when it comes to women. He could not get to her. But look what happens next, verse 3. 
Now, Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shemaiah, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. You're going to see in just a moment that he is a shrewd man. He has a plan. In verse 4, he asked Amnon, Why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? In other words, you're the king's son. You should get whatever you want. And I can tell you're not getting whatever you want. So tell me, what's the problem? Now, I don't want to read too much into this, but it seems like David's sons are a bit spoiled, doesn't it? It seems like they're used to getting what they want, when they want, exactly how they want it. Amnon replies in verse 4, Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Now, Jonadab, he's a troublemaker. He has a plan. Verse 5, go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so that I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. Now Abnon listens to his friend, verse 6. So Abnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Abnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight and, so that I may eat it from her hand. So again, David is concerned about his son. He's sick. He goes to see him. Abnon makes his request. And again, it seems that David gives his kids whatever they want. David seems to be oblivious to the tricks of his kids. Verse 7, David sent word to Tamar at the palace, Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. So she makes the bread, she serves it to him, but he refuses to eat it. He has a plan. Look at verse 9. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said, so everyone left him. Again, he asks for everybody to get out, and they do. And with everyone else out of the room, he makes his move, verse 10. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. Tamar tries to reason with him. Verse 12, no, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do such a wicked thing. She knows that he's stronger than her. She can only fight back by appealing to reason. Think about what you're doing, Amnon, she says. What about me, verse 13? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. And then look at what she says to him in verse 13. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. And this raises the question, could they really have been married, brother and sister? It seems to me that she's trying to get out of the situation, right? She's trying to prevent a rape. It seems to me that she uh, could not have married him, but she's just saying to him, look, let's, let's work this out, and then once she's free, uh, we'd be able to see what's going on here. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 9 says uh, specifically, don't have sexual relations with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whatever 
or whether she was born in your home or elsewhere. In other words, this was against the law for brothers and sisters to marry, so it's not that this is going to happen, but again, she's trying to get away from him. And in verse 14 we see, but he refused to listen to her, and since he was stronger than she, he raped her. No doubt, this is a tragic event. David unknowingly lures his daughter into the trap of his son. David's oldest son shows no control over his lust, abusing and scarring his sister. I want to be careful here not to skip too quickly over the tragedy of this event. It is tragic. The pain of rape is real. Victims of rape will tell you that the scars are deep. And no doubt Tamar is a victim. As we continue in the story, we see what happens next here, and we see how it reveals Amnon's true heart. Look at verse 15 with me. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. This is an indication that he was not truly in love with her, right? He was only in lust with her. Amnon feels the guilt, and he puts it on his sister. Verse 16, no, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. Now we need to understand how things go in this culture. In this culture, a man would have to pay for the price or the price to the father of a virgin. And since he raped her, he would have to care for her. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 28 and 29, if a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married and rapes her and they're and, and and they are discovered, he shall pay the girl's father 50 shekels of silver. He must marry the girl, for he's violated her. He can never divorce her as long as he lives. And again, this is about caring for the woman in this particular case. It's a culture where women were not able to make a living, and they, they needed the support of a man. And if a man violates a woman, he is responsible to care for her. But Amnon has violated her, and he's sending her away. Amnon would not listen in verse 16. It says, but he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. How cruel. Verse 18, so his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. Again, the king's son gets what he wants. There seems to be no accountability for what he did. Not only does he violate her, but he also discards her. Tamar is devastated, verse, thir- verse 18. When he, while she was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment that the virgin daughters of the king wore, Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Just pause there for a minute. Can, can you feel her pain? She's mourning. She's acting like a widow who has lost her husband. She's been abused. She's been discarded. She is distraught. She is grieving. Verse 20. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now again, Absalom again is a half-brother of Amnon, again one of David's sons. He seems to know what has happened to his sister. And he tries to comfort her. Look at verse 20. Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. Now that might seem a little shallow, right, on Absalom's part. How is she supposed to not take this to heart? Certainly Absalom will not take it to heart later. 
But maybe Absalom knows what he's going to do. Either way, he brings Tamar into his house. She'll no longer live with the virgins, with the unmarried, unmarried women. Look at how she's described in verse 20. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. Her life will never be the same again. The next verse is only a few words, but the lack of ex explanation here is what makes it a big deal. Look at verse 21. When King David heard all this, he was furious. Now again, it's a short verse, but what we don't read here, I think, is important. There's no mention of a long conversation between David and Amnon. There doesn't even seem to be a time when David goes and consoles Tamar. At least we don't see that in Scripture. There's no family meeting. David is not happy, but he doesn't seem to do anything about it. You have to wonder what's going on in David's mind at this point, right? Maybe his guilt, the guilt from his sin with Bathsheba, is keeping him from confronting his son. One manuscript actually includes an explanation here. Now, this, may, this is probably not in your Bibles because it's not in most reliable copies of 2 Samuel. But there are some manuscripts that include the following and after verse 21. But he did not curb the excesses, literally the spirit of his son Abnon, speaking of David. He favored him because he was his firstborn. He favored him because he was his firstborn. In other words, David did not discipline him. David did not confront him. David did not go to him and say, what did you do to your sister? And while this, again, is not in most manuscripts, it gives us, gives, gives us some insight into what might have been going on here. Certainly, David's inaction points to this truth. And so now there's tension in the air. There's tension in the family. Two brothers are not even talking. Look at verse 22. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. This leads us to the next scene in the story, verse 23. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep shearers were at Baal Hazar, near the border of Ephraim, he invited all the king's sons to come there. Now, how long was it when the brothers weren't talking? Two years, right? And now he's going to have this uh, special event. And Absalom comes in and asks David if he and the king's sons will go. David says, no, I'm not going. So David doesn't go. Then Absalom asked Amnon, the other son, if, the other, Amnon and, if Amnon and the other sons could go. And it's a really interesting conversation because at first, and maybe David knows there's tension in the air. Maybe David fears what's going to happen. But David says, no, you can't go. And look at verse 27 with me. Absalom urged him and he sent him, Amnon, and the rest of the king's sons. In other words, he said no, but then Ab Absalom kept asking him, and then he finally said yes. Again, this gives us some insight into the type of father that David was, doesn't it? He says no, but again, eventually gives in. Now, how many of you who have kids, you've told your kids no, and they keep asking, right? That does happen, but good parents stick to their answers. But David doesn't seem to be a good parent. He wasn't paying attention. And when they get away from the palace, Absalom enacts his plan. Verse 29, Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid, haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. Verse 29, so, so Absalom's men did to Amnon 
what Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and fled. More tragedy. We have rape, bitterness, hatred, and now murder. Word comes to David that Absalom has killed all of his sons initially, but Jonadab, remember that guy, the buddy with the plan, tells David that only Amnon is dead. The other sons come back, but Absalom flees. Absalom goes to his maternal grandfather, Talmi, the king of Geshur, and he hides out there. He knows he will not be welcome if he comes back to David. And so the story closes with David heartbroken. Look at verses 38 and 39. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. A picture of David heartbroken. He's heartbroken for Amnon, the son that he's lost. He's heartbroken for Absalom, the son that murdered his son. Can you imagine one of your sons murdering the other? David's pain is unspeakable. On the one hand, it seems like the story is over, but on the other hand, the story is just beginning. And not to spoil the story, but Absalom is not finished breaking his father's heart. As we close the story this morning, you know, this isn't one of those uplifting, you know, come to church and feel great about yourself sort of sermons, is it? But the story is about the pain of sin. David's sin plays out in terrible ways. You know, I've been thinking about this story this week. You know, I think about Nathan's words to David. Nathan said to him, the sword will never depart from your house. And a lot of times we read that, we think that maybe, you know, somehow God has cursed David. But the more I've been thinking about this, I don't think that God is necessarily cursing David as much as he's saying to David, once sin is a part of your family, and sin has had an opportunity to kind of be there for a long time it does damage it does harm and David the sin is going to produce consequences and we see how that plays out here you know David probably had a hard time going to Amnon and saying to him what you've done is wrong because he probably thinks you know what I did was wrong and he in some ways he's probably still dealing with that guilt even though even though God has forgiven him he's still struggling even though his sins are forgiven, there's still dysfunction in his house. And we watch as this, 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 this dysfunction plays out. And, and again, I think what this teaches us is that sin destroys, doesn't it? Sin wreaks havoc on everything in sight. And we're reminded here, just like the brownies and the cat food, right? Even a little bit of it is not okay. And a lot of times we have this picture of God, you know, who's, who's kind of sitting up there ready to strike us down as soon as we break a rule. And I think we need a different view of sin. I think we need to have the view that the psalmist had who wrote Psalm chapter 19. We understand that sin destroys. Sin wrecks us. Even a little bit of it is not good for us. We don't want it. And might we be repelled at sin like we would be repelled at cat food and brownies, right? We don't want it. We don't want anything to do with it. And it's not that we're missing out on the fun like we often think when we think of sin. We think that we can just be strong enough, you know. We, we, we won't have fun like everybody else, you know. And then, but somehow we'll be good with God. If we had a different view of sin that, that says sin is terrible, 
Sin hurts us, it harms us, it causes death. And we want to know what God's rules are, not because God is up there to strike us down, but because God loves us and he wants what's best for us. And God's heart is with our heart. And God wants us to live and God wants us to prosper. And God wants us to be in line with how he wants us to live, not because we have to grit our teeth, but because it's really what's best for us. And when we do what God tells us not to do, we're going to find ourselves in the consequences of evil. We are grateful, aren't we, today that Jesus took on our sin on the cross. He offers forgiveness. His death provides salvation for us. And as God told David, you will not die. We can be confident because of the blood of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. But this by no means is a free ticket to continue to sin. Sin destroys. Sin wrecks homes. Sin rips families apart. Sin produces heartbreak. Maybe this morning God would be prompting us to confess our sin. Again, I think, I think that David would have fessed up early on. I think it would have been a different story for him. But David allowed sin to remain. David allowed it to take root in the palace. And it ultimately destroyed his family. May each of us have the wisdom to confess our sin and draw near to God. Would you pray with me? God, it's a hard story to read. There's so much pain and suffering. And God, we mourn. We mourn with Tamar, who was abused, who was raped, who was neglected, who was cast out. God, we know your heart is with her. We know that you love her and that you care for her. And God, you are sad when things like this happen in our world. God, we mourn for David, mourn with David as his sons have raped and murdered. And God, we think of parents who are in our midst today whose children have made mistakes. And God, our hearts grieve. God, we grieve for sin in our world and we pray, God, that you would redeem us, that you would help us to see your truth, to lean into your truth and to live into your truth so that we may have life, life eternal, not, not only about going to heaven, but also life in, the, in terms of what it means um, to live in a way that honors you, that glorifies you, that really brings life to us. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.